Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be talking about predestination and foreordination, which is chapter 8 of reincarnation. We'll be on pages 68 to 72. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. 1 Peter 1, verses 19 and 20. Predestination and foreordination have similar definitions as they both refer to something being planned or decreed beforehand. Predestination means what it says a destiny or a destination planned ahead and likewise with foreordination an ordination that was planned ahead men who have been foreordained to specific missions on earth were then predestined to the place time and circumstances of their birth to enable them to accomplish these assignments. This is the same as the elders of the church being ordained and given the commission as missionaries for the LDS church. They receive their call based on their worthiness, free agency, valiancy, and willingness to serve. They are then given a destination and specific time to fulfill that mission. Hence, their ordination is the result of their own faithfulness and free agency. But the time and place of their mission is predestined or appointed by somebody else. Most reincarnationalists believe that our past, present, and future are all predestined and that our destiny depends on our lives on this or other, on this or other earths. However, the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that predestination applies mainly to the time, place, race, or nation in which we are born. We're on page 69 if you're reading along. Many people were given a specific calling, a mission, and were foreordained to it before they were born but they still had their free agency in fulfilling that ordination. Christ was chosen, set apart, and ordained to come into this life as the Messiah, the Redeemer, and the Savior of all mankind. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Revelations 13 verse 8 If reincarnation were a true doctrine, He should have been born of the finest of living conditions as he had earned it, 
but instead he was born in the most humble and primitive of circumstances. Furthermore, since Christ was so perfect and godlike, he should have already reached nirvana or whatever the reincarnationalists think of the, the greatest souls go. According to their belief, he wouldn't have to come back and trudge through this mortal mess again. Other good men were also chosen, called and ordained for a special work on the earth because God had a foreknowledge of their character, not because they were predestined by their own better life in some other dispensation. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, Every man who has a calling to minister to the inhabitants of the world was ordained to that very purpose in the grand council of heaven before the world was. I suppose that I was ordained to this very office in that grand council. And quote, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 365. Jeremiah was one of those persons chosen chosen and foreordained in the pre-existence. He came to earth with a pre-assigned mission and calling, but not because of his own good deeds in some prior mortal life here, here or on some other world. We're on page 70. Then the, world, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 40, 44 and 45. And a lot of the, uh, the apostate Christians believe that God knew how he was going to create Jeremiah in the womb, but that's not what this means. When... When Jehovah was speaking to Job after all that had happened to Job in his life, Job was really upset with God and, and what he had been through. And Jehovah, our Elohim, was like, where were you when the earth was stretched forth and created? Where were you when the sons of God shouted together and, and sang, uh, sang for joy? Like he was, he was trying to say, like, you were with us. You were part of this. You are one of the B'nai Elohim, or the sons of God, that's Hebrew. He was there with them. He chose to go through the things he went through. And Job, Job went through those things because Job needed to learn things about Job. It wasn't so much a test as a learning experience. And I have a huge, I've had a huge problem with Job in the past, because it seems so unfair that he had to go through all of that. He was the most righteous man on the earth at the time. And not only did he get sick, but he lost his whole family 
all of his children, his wife or wives, I'm not sure if he was plurally married like so many were back then, but he lost everything. God gave it all back to him except for the family that died. God couldn't give them back, but he gave back he gave Job a family again. And I have a problem with that because I'm like, why is it that like he had to go through all of that? It was for his his own experience. That's why people go through the things in life they go through. The pain, the joy. All of the experiences of life are beneficial for the growth of man so that we can progress. And we have to go through all of it. And I don't don't exactly understand why, why we have to go through all of it, but there's something there that can only be gained through experience. That's why this world exists. We're here experiencing trials and tribulation and learning how to deal and cope with with different things and I have to believe when we get to the other side of the veil and our mind is open up we can remember why we chose to come here to begin with but we we existed before we came here all of us did Like John the Baptist, when he was still in Elizabeth's womb, he left for joy in the womb because he knew Jesus before Jesus was in the womb as well. He knew him. John knew him. That's why he left for joy. And John was nobody but a prophet. Like the apostate Christians will say, that that the spirit was given to the body in the womb, but the spirit did not exist before. Well, then how did John know Jesus? There's other examples, and I won't get into them. Um, there's a really good book uh, that Ogden Kraut wrote. It's called... Um, Pre-existence, I think. You can find you can find that at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. If you want to get into that topic, there's so much evidence for for the pre-existence of the human spirit. There's so much that people just look over. They don't they don't know the correct interpretation of scripture. Like Peter said, Scripture is not for private interpretation. And why did he say that? Because the true interpretation of Scripture belongs to God only. And James said, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Which means that you can receive revelation for yourself, which is one of the gifts of being a prophet. And God said that he is no respecter of man so that anybody can receive revelation from God. In fact, he wants us to. But the problem is we choose these pastors and ministers and bishops and institute teachers and prophets and apostles of our modern day. 
era that they claim to know the truth and like they might know some truth but you you have to go to God yourself God says to be no I to not put your trust in a friend he also says in Isaiah 28 that the prophets and the apostles have led led the people astray you have to go to God for yourself you cannot rely on somebody else to just lead you all the time unless that somebody else is God the, going to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving revelation and inspiration from the Holy Spirit and then getting a a confirmation of the Spirit which I've talked about in the past when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the son of the, of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven, which means Peter received revelation from God and confirmation of the spirit that Jesus was who he said that he was. And then Jesus taught something so very important. He said, Peter, upon this rock will I build my church. Not, Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build on. That That's not what he said. That's, that's a twisted manipulation of apostate Christianity. The rock that Jesus was speaking about was the rock of revelation. When we know something by revelation and we have a firm confirmation of the spirit that it is true, we can stand firm upon that rock, even though the waves and the winds and the the tempests of the world come crashing and, and trying to push us off that we can stand on that rock, knowing that the thing that we learned from God is true. But one of the the things that I see in our modern times is that so many people have had a witness. They've had a strong witness of, of the restoration and because of, of the actions of church leaders past and present, because of anti-Mormons, because of the lies and half-truths of of anti-Mormons and people like Brigham Young and I'm sorry I like Brigham Young but there's some things that he did that were wrong very wrong I won't get into them right now but but they know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet because the spirit has testified to them and they have gotten a confirmation When I was a missionary, every time I taught the first division or the first discussion, the spirit burned so strong within me. And I know that there's multiple accounts because there's more to the first vision than the watered down version that the church wants to to give us the narrative. And Joseph Smith didn't lay it out in linear success or like how it happened from beginning to end. He talked about certain things with different people. I've done the same thing. I understand how or why he did that because for myself, 
I will be moved upon by the Spirit to speak of my own visitation. And it wasn't a visitation. I was taken up to Mount Vashel, where I saw the Father and the Son face to face in the flesh. And to describe what that experience was like it is ineffable. The words cannot describe it in full detail. But when I'm inspired to share portions of that with certain people, as I have been over time, I might not say the whole thing. I might only talk about Jesus, but I saw the Father too. But people who are in a Trinitarian understanding, they may not be ready for the fullness of knowledge of just that that first that vision, the first vision. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it a first vision for me because I had been taken up in the spirit many times before that. But that was when I saw them in the flesh and I embraced them both in the flesh, the Father and the Son. But there'll be times when I will only talk about part of it. There will be times when I talk about more more of it than, you know, and, and just talking about that one experience, not even talking about all of the experiences that I've had. You know, so with Joseph Smith and many different accounts of the first vision, there was just more to it that he didn't get into detail on. And unfortunately, Joseph Smith, he had scribes write down for him. We don't have a whole lot that he actually wrote. He could write. I just don't think he liked to write. Fortunately for me, immediately after I was uh, returned to my semi-truck, because I was actually parked on the side of an on-ramp south of Beaver, Utah, when I was taken up in the flesh. I was sitting there, and I was just sitting in my driver's seat. My parking brakes were set. You know, the truck was on. It was uh, early spring, and I was just sitting there on the side of the uh, of the road on the off-ramp, or the on-ramp, actually. And... I had my scriptures out on this thing, this desk that I had on my steering wheel. And I was just pondering over scriptures and I was talking to God and I was telling him, you know, I don't understand how it is that in my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life. Not not that I would have that, but that I have been given that. And like... I received my patriarchal blessing, oh, I don't know, four months after my conversion. Because I had, I was baptized in the church in 86, but it wasn't until 96 that I had my conversion. It wasn't until 96 that God completely healed me of all of my, my addiction that I had developed. Because I did not want to live, so I used drugs and alcohol to try to stop me from being conscious. <laughs> you know, I would—I was a functioning drug addict and alcoholic. I would—I uh, would go to work, and as soon as I was off work, 
And I worked for a full shift. Um, at that time, I worked for a place called Movie Buffs, and I was uh, my job was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. because it was a 24-hour movie rental place. I love that job. But I would go home after that where I lived, and I would just get drunk. I would drink cheap alcohol until I passed out. And then on days when I wasn't working, I was getting high. And it was screwing my life up, but I I was so depressed and sad because of the things that happened in my life that that's what I used, that's what I did to try to cope. So I was scared to death of committing suicide, even though I had tried. So I would just drink and use alcohol and drugs. Anyway, but I asked God after an attempted suicide where if it wasn't for my roommate coming home and finding me, I would be dead right now. I wouldn't be here right now. But anyway, after that attempted suicide, I wrote God a letter and I told him, if you will heal me and show me the truth, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And in that same letter, I told him how sad I was and how how I, lo- I had this love in my heart, but I just... I was so sad all the time, and I don't want to get too much into the letter, but it wasn't that long after that that I met two missionaries, Elder King and Elder Bowman. And at the time, I had been Baptist because I had joined a Southern Baptist church, and I was very anti-Mormon, but I was nice to Elder Bowman and Elder King. And... um Eventually, after they wouldn't stop bugging me, I finally listened. And the Holy Spirit just came on me with so much power when I asked God if if Joseph Smith was truly a prophet and if the Book of Mormon was true. And I was completely healed at that point in an instant as God's hot, holy anointing oil flowed through my whole soul and completely healed me. And in an instant, I have never, from 1996 to this day, used illicit drugs ever again. I have no desire to. But I don't even know where I was going with this other than I felt like I needed to talk about this. But one of the things that makes me sad is people have had strong spiritual witnesses like I was saying I when I was on my mission or even after that I would testify of Joseph Smith and the Holy Spirit would burn like fire within me and there was no way I could deny it even though I knew all the anti-Mormon stuff and even after my conversion I read the anti-Mormon stuffs because I wanted to understand how to deal with them when these things brought, were brought up. And I, I was sent to Georgia on my mission. So I was a Baptist. I was sent to Georgia. I knew the anti-Mormon ploys, and I knew how to talk about them and how to address these issues. 
So I was, I kind of felt like I was uh, putting on the armor of God in those circumstances. But what makes me really sad is that people have had a witness. And now the devil has come with his lies and they believe the lies instead of the witness and they reject the witness, which is denial of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know what will happen to these people who have had strong witnesses who who go away from the gospel. And it's not the church, it's the gospel. The restoration was the restoration of the gospel. Jesus said he would reject his church if certain things didn't happen, but people are rejecting the church and throwing the gospel out too. They're throwing the restoration out instead of going and seeking God and finding out what truth is. Because there's many things in the modern day church that that are the doctrines of men mingled with scripture that are mingled with the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith that are half-truths and sometimes even lies because they whitewash Joseph Smith and turn him into something he never was and they manipulate the gospel and they've changed things. In the last 180 years, they've changed things. Anyway, let's get on with the reading. I am kind of sick. Um, So I spent four days doing the oil field job. And the second day we went out, um, it was snowing so bad up the canyon that even with chains on, we got stuck. And they had to pull all of the trucks up the hill with a tow truck. And um, I uh, I had to put chains on in a, a very windy blizzard, like two degrees, blowing snow, like to the point where I couldn't even open my eyes when I was reaching for the chains sometimes because the snow was so bad. Which reminds me, I need snow goggles. <laughs> <coughs> but I have a... I have a bit of a cold, which sucks because I have to go back to work tomorrow morning. So it is what it is. And if I work so hard that I get so sick that I have to go sit in the hospital, that's just days off that I can rest. So whatever. Anyway, I know I can't die because God has a mission for me in life. So I'm not worried about that. But I, I can still get sick. Anyway. Abraham was another of the valiant spirits chosen in his pre-mortal life. And among all of these, there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls that they were good. And he stood in the midst of them and he said, These I will make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits. And they saw, and he saw that they were good. And he said unto, unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them. Thou wast chosen before thou were born. And that's in Abraham chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Now, I want to reveal to you a secret. The way the church is set up on earth is the way the kingdom is set up in heaven. 
and what do I mean by that? I will reveal to you a secret. Jehovah our Elohim is not Jesus Christ. And uh, Ether chapter 3, Jesus says, uh, you know, this is my spirit body. This is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. I've never appeared to anyone before this. This happened with the brother of Jared or Mohandre Moriankumar after the flood. But Jehovah, who is not Jesus Christ, appeared to people in the antediluvian times, which means before the flood. He appeared to uh, to Adam. He appeared to Enoch. He walked with Enoch in the flesh. He appeared to Methuselah. He appeared to Noah. He appeared to other people before. But after the flood, he also appeared to Abraham. He sat down with Abraham in his tent or tents. And Abraham served him a meal of meat and dairy. And guess what Jehovah did? He ate it, which Jesus could not do as a spirit. He ate the food that was prepared. As a resurrected individual. But Jesus said, this is my spirit. And Abraham and the Tower of Babel and the brother of Jared, that all was around the same time period. But Jehovah is our Elohim. All over the the scriptures, it, it says the Lord our God in the King James Version, but in the Hebrew it says Yehovah Elohim. Elohim means mighty one or great one. It is a plurality of gods or a plurality of exalted ones. And Yehovah is one of them. Under his direction, he brought Michael to this earth and showed Michael how to create the earth. And Michael was the creator of this earth, the organizer of the elements of this earth. He organized the garden. He brought the plants and animals to this earth from another world that he wanted to bring here. And he and his wife, Ashura, came to this earth and they partook of the fruit of this earth and they descended from a celestial level to a telestial or to a terrestrial and then down to a telestial level so that they could have children to populate this earth with their children that they had paid for in the previous world which I've talked about that before so when Joseph Smith said that that there are three main there's basically a first presidency for every earth and it consists of God the creator God the redeemer and God the witness now Jesus Christ did help create which in Hebrew it means to organize not to create out of thin air and Jesus organized the spirits that would come here 
that's how Jesus was a creator as well, but they had different roles. So God the Creator or God the Father, under the direction of an Elohim, is Michael. And he holds the keys of the first presidency of this earth. That's why at Adam and Andayaman, we have to give all of our keys back to the president of this earth. And then he delivers them to his son, who is his successor. Because Jesus Christ bought us with the price of the atonement. And we become his children. That's how Jesus is both the father and the son. But Jesus has a father above him. And let me just remind you that in Revelations chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God. That's Michael. And his father. That is Yehovah our Elohim. And when Jesus appeared to Mary and Mary said, Rabboni, Rabboni, and she ran to him and he said, Hold me not, for I have not yet, uh, I have not yet gone to my father. But tell my brethren, meaning the disciples, the apostles, tell them that I go unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Who is the father of Jesus Christ, who is the father of the disciples? It is Michael. Now, the reason why Jesus is the only begotten, even though Michael begot all of the children that live all of us you look in you see any human individual (laughs) you're going to see a child of Adam but Jesus was the only begotten how did that work at the end of Michael's life as Adam because he took upon himself the name of God the eternal father At the end of his life, he was translated and he waited until the time came when he impregnated Mary. Her name in Hebrew is Miriam. As a terrestrial being, not a telestial being, that gave the body of Jesus Christ the ability to do things that we cannot do as our telestial beings. As mortal beings, he was half terrestrial, half telestial. He was the only begotten in this way, which made him able to heal others, but more importantly, to heal himself as all of the sins of the world came upon him in the Garden of Eden. Or not the Garden of Eden, the, the, the garden where all the sins came upon him, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. As wave after wave after wave of sin and transgression came upon him, it actually tore his flesh apart. When it says that he bled from every pore he did, and by the power that he had as a terrestrial being, he was able to heal himself which no mortal man would be able to do.
it would kill every single one of us. But because Jesus was part terrestrial, because his father was a god, and his father was terrestrial in a translated state, he was able to do the things that needed to be done for the atonement of this world. And when Jesus appeared to Mary and he says, touch me not or hold me not, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, that's Michael who was Adam, and to your father and to my God, that's Yehovah our Elohim and your God. And and real quick, this just popped into my mind. Moses chapter 1 verse 6. Jehovah is speaking to Moses. And Moses says, you are in the similitude of mine only begotten son. Now who is the only begotten son of, Mike, of, of Jehovah? That's Michael. But in order to understand these things, you have to understand the progression of the gods and multiple mortal probations. If you don't understand these things, the puzzles, the puzzle pieces don't fit. You're not going to see a full picture. But second in the, the first counselor in the first presidency of this earth under Michael is... God the Redeemer, and that is Jesus, whose name while he was on the earth was Yehoshua, which is Hebrew, or the Aramaic shortened version is Yeshua. And the second witness or counselor is God the Witness. Under the direction of the first presidency, there are 12 who are called mighty and strong. 12. And in fact, the first presidency is also considered mighty and strong. So there's actually 15. It resembles the church. So on earth, so it is in heaven. Except for in heaven, it's uncorrupt. On the earth, there is corruption. And all that means is that there are things that have crept into the church that are not right. But under under the first presidency and the quorum of the twelve who are mighty and strong, there are the noble and great ones. And that's why I went through this whole long spiel, because I'm trying to show you a mental image of how things really are. Abraham was one, was among the noble and great ones. He is part of the 70 for this earth. And there are seven quorums of 70. So you've got the first presidency. Michael comes first in the morning of creation. He is called the morning star. And in that dispensation, the the, there are mighty and strong ones that come in that time. So you have Michael, who became Adam, to take upon himself the name of God, the Eternal Father. And then you had Enoch, who was mighty and strong. And then you had Noah, who was mighty and strong. And then you had Moses, who was mighty and strong. 
And then you had Elijah, who was mighty and strong. And in the first dispensation, there were many of the noble and great ones who are the 70s of the of the heavenly heavenly realm who came onto the earth. Abraham and Job and all of these prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, they came in the first dispensation. And then... Jesus sent John to prepare the way for him to come. And he, John, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, John ben Zachariah, or Johann ben Zachariah, he was mighty and strong, and he prepared the way for Jesus to come, who is also mighty and strong. And Jesus chose three to lead the church. Peter. Well, we say James, but James is really not right. I think it's Johann. Um, when they did the King James Version of the Bible, they changed the name of the second apostle, uh, the second in the first presidency, to meet with King James, like to like try to honor King James but we'll just go with that so Peter, James and John held the keys of the first presidency of the church and they were also mighty and strong and there were those who came to do a work among the people of the world who were the noble and great ones they may they may have been those men in the rest of the Reformation. I don't know exactly, but they were mighty and strong who came to start the second dispensation or the dispensation of the of the noon of the history of this earth or the bright and morning star dispensation. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Adam is the morning star. We are sons. Jesus and I are sons of the morning star. And then Joseph Smith came to prepare the way to lay the foundation for Zion, much the same as John the Baptist did. And he was mighty and strong. Joseph Smith was. And there are, let's see, there are three others besides myself, and I am also mighty and strong. I am the witness of the Father and the Son. That's why I've seen them face to face in the flesh. This is the dispensation of the evening star. I am the evening star. Joseph Smith was the Elias to prepare the way for me to come. And there are others who will assist who are also mighty and strong. There are three others that are mighty and strong, and there are those who are noble and great that will come to assist in this dispensation and have come to to assist in this dispensation. There's still a lot of things that have to happen before the end 
of this dispensation. And yes, there will be another beyond, beyond, beyond this. It's We'll go into the millennium. We'll go into the ter- terrestrial phase of this earth, not just the telestial. And there will be dispensations within that dispensation of the millennial reign. You know, like a lot of people say, oh, this is the last dispensation. But Joseph Smith said that Elijah must come again before the last dispensation. Well, I thought this was the last dispensation. But people, they take a little bit of knowledge that they have and they try to make it fill in all the gaps. And they come up with these theories and these doctrines that are the doctrines of men mingled with scripture. Orson Pratt explains further the nature and selection of certain premortal spirits. Quote, Now if the apostles and others were called with a holy calling and chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and actually received grace in Christ and had the promise of eternal life made to them before the world began, then why should it be thought incredible that in and through Christ they were also re- they also received forgiveness of the sins which they may have committed in the pre-existent state? If all the two-thirds who kept their first estate were equally valiant in the war and equally faithful, why should some of them be called and chosen in their spiritual state to hold responsible stations and offices in this world while others were not? If there were none of those spirits who sinned, well, they made they made choices because we all had free agency, right? Why were the, were the apostles, when they existed in their previous state, chosen to be blessed with all the spiritual blessings in he- heavenly places in Christ? All these passages seem to convey an idea that there were callings, choosings, ordination, ordinances, promises, predestinations, and elections and appointments made before the world began. End quote, and that's Orson Pratt in his book, The Seer, page 55, and we're on page 71. According to the scriptures, races and nations were predetermined and predestined by God. I, I got to say this before we get into this. So when God showed me where he was before the Big Bang. So that's something I kept asking him over and over and over again, right? And he showed me the the intelligence that we all come from, even God, all of us. He showed me how the spirit was created, which is when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the feminine and the masculine energy separate, and you have the birth of the spirit, a male and a female spirit. He showed me the war in heaven. And he showed me that those who never left the side of the plan of salvation, those were the elect. And there were different levels of being valiant in the in this uh, 
in the uh, among the elect, but those who did not stay with with the plan of salvation, they thought that Satan. Well, he wasn't Satan at that time. This is another thing that drives me insane, because I love truth. Hillel ben Shekhar in Len is Lucifer. Most people understand who Lucifer is, kind of. So we'll use that word. What Lucifer means in Latin is bearer of light. That's who Lucifer was before he fell. Because of his pride and arrogance, he had a problem with with Jesus being chosen as the first witness of the Father. He was the second witness of the Father. He was the one that was chosen to be the witness, or God the witness, or the Holy Ghost, the Rakakodash. He was a prophet on a previous world. He was sent to prepare the way for the witness to come who was Jesus on that previous world. So, in order for me to explain this, I'll just use myself as an example. So, there was a person on a previous world who started the first, or who started the dispensation of the evening star who was an Elias much like Joseph Smith. And then there was a time for the church to roll forth and to have missionaries and to do all the things that the church had to do to prepare for the coming of God the Witness. Now, God the Witness prepares for the coming of God the Redeemer, for his second coming. But in order for God the witness to come, there is two Eliases that come. There's one that starts out the dispensation, and there's one that prepares the way for the witness to come. This witness, or this this one who prepares the way for the witness to come, he's chosen in his arrogance and his pride but he is he has proven himself to be very obedient to God but pride is pride is his downfall okay and this individual will begin he'll receive these revelations to help prepare the way for the witness but then the witness doesn't come when he expects and over time he is molded into this very arrogant prideful individual and he will be the one who is chosen to be the Satan but before he becomes the Satan he becomes the witness of the next world So Lucifer was the witness, but because because of his um, delusion, he talks himself into believing that he is not the Elias of the witness, but he's the witness himself. So that when the witness comes, 
At first he accepts him as a prophet, but he begins to realize that, well, he's claiming the position that I've claimed for all these years, and I can't have that because people will realize that I've lied, and the pride and the arrogance gets in there. That's what happened with Lucifer. So when Adam chose Jesus, who was his rightful heir before the foundation of this world, to become the Redeemer, the one who was supposed to be the witness gets very prideful and arrogant because he's in strong delusion, much the same way Lucifer was, and he he will present a another plan, much the way Lucifer did for this world. And people will follow that plan. And in his arrogance and his pride, he will fall. He was a god. He was a god. The lowest level of god that you can become, but he was God the witness. And he fell and had his name and his title stripped from him, and he became Ha-Satan, or the accuser. Because he was the accuser of Jesus, claiming that he should have been the one chosen and trying to usurp authority and an overthrow. But Jesus has these who are the elect, and he has these who are valiant, and they go among these deceived individuals who follow after Lucifer, and, and we taught them the error of their ways the error of the plan of damnation that Lucifer was trying to usurp authority and create this plan so that he could be the god of this world to exalt his throne above the throne of not only Jesus but the father as well because in his pride and his his arrogance, he became very deluded, which it talks about that in Second Thessalonians chapter two. All they who believe the lie and the lie can be strong, uh, can be false doctrine. It can be. It could be you believe that you are somebody that you are not. It can be a lot of different things, but when you believe the lie, you receive strong delusion that you might be damned. Because you did not love the truth. That's why when when my aunt revealed to me that she knew that I was mighty and strong, I didn't accept it. Because it didn't come to me. And, but even when it did come to me, I, there was like, there was, there's no way that I'm that individual. I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way. Because God speaks to us first in our mind, right? But that's how that's how Jesus uh, that's how Satan speaks it to us as well because we can receive revelation from both sides. So the revelation came that I was mighty and strong in the fall of 2012, and I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Even now, it's hard for me to believe because I look around and I see other individuals, and I'm like, why didn't you choose them? Why did you choose me? I am not ready for this. I don't, I don't, I can't. First of all, I don't want this 
this position. I do not want this position. But God knew me and my character before the foundation of this earth, and he chose me for this world to be his witness. But Lucifer fell, and he was stripped of his title. And in 2013, God came to me and he said, Ask me who you are. And I said, Father, who am I? And he showed me many things. He he showed me the war in heaven. He showed me the fall of Lucifer where he had his title, Hillel ben Shakar, or Lucifer stripped from him. He, I saw the fall of, of these individuals and a third of the host of heaven. And I saw the Father and the Son walk down among us who, were, who remained, who were mighty and strong, and they chose me from among them to take the place of the bearer of light and truth, the Hillel ben Shakar, or the Lucifer in Latin. That's why I hate it when people refer to Satan as Lucifer, because that was a title that was stripped from him. He had that title. He no longer is the bearer of light and truth, which is all Lucifer means in Latin. All right, but there were different divisions in the war in heaven, and the people who made those decisions, there were things that, um, there were there were choices that they made that determined what circumstances they would go through in their mortality and what nations and races that they would be placed in during their mortality on this earth. Okay, so that's something that God showed me. And it doesn't mean that they're not God's children doesn't mean that they're bad but they are in a level of progression where they need to be in the states and the time periods that they're placed in they are learning things in their lives that they need to grow or that they need to progress and as unfair as that seems in this world it's the truth And in the last days, because of the ignorance of man and the pride and arrogance of man, they will continue to say those things which are wrong and they will declare them to be right. And those things which are right, they will declare them to be wrong because everything is topsy-turvy right now. It's because of the brainwashing and the culture in which we live. All right, but anyway, so let's see here. According to the scriptures, races and nations were predetermined and predestined by God. Quote, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee, thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided the nations with their inheritance, 
when he separated the sons of Adam, or the B'nai Elohim, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance, or Israel is the lot of his inheritance. And that's Devarim, or Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verses 9 through uh I'm sorry, verses 7 through 9. We're 72% done with the reading for today, so let's continue. The Apostle Peter wrote to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to Peter, certain men were chosen to specific missions on earth, not because of the merits in the previous mortal life, but rather according to the ordinations in their pre-mortal life. The mightiest and more worthy spirits were foreordained to be prophets or spiritual leaders on the earth. The founding fathers of America and the framers of its constitution were chosen according to the foreknowledge and foreordination of God and accordingly were born when they were, and they were, I'm sorry, foreordination of God and accordingly were born when and where they were in order to accomplish that mission. The Lord explained, quote, For this purpose I have established the Constitution of this land, speaking of the Constitution of the United States of America, by the hands of wise men whom I raised up unto this very purpose. Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 80. And so these wise men that he raised up were part of the noble and great ones. They were members of the, the Council of the Seventies. The Lord chose these men according to their worthiness in the pre-mortal existence, not because of their achievements in, the, in a prior, prior mortal life or on this or other worlds. So I think this is the last page. Uh, we're on page 72. According to the theory of multiple mortal sojourns on earth, man is like the spokes of will that continue to revolve according to his own karma, reaping what he sows. Fate is the basis for reincarnation, whereas free agency, forgiveness, and Christ's atonement provide the basis for the gospel of Christ the atonement of Christ eliminates the need for man to go through mortality again and again. For the Lord said, Come now and let us reason together, says, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Christ's atonement eliminates the need for a return to earth to get rid of your sins and transgressions. But I have to say this, but it doesn't give us 
all the experience we need to become gods. And one lifetime does not give us the experience we need to become exalted. It doesn't give us the experience we need. We come back multiple times. And I don't know, like I said, I'm not sure if we come back multiple times on one earth. But what I was told is that after we are resurrected, unless we are exalted, so you can be the two levels of this celestial kingdom below exaltation, which are actually the levels of redeemers and witnesses. And that's another thing that's hard for people to wrap their brains around. But um, if you're not exalted, you're damned. In order to become exalted as a man, you have to go through a redeeming qualification to become a redeemer. But are we when we're when we are in a resurrected state and a new earth is created like what it talks about in the book of Revelations where the new heaven and the new earth is created? At that point we can put off the resurrection and go as a spirit onto a new world. And it won't be Jesus who is your redeemer that time. He'll be your father that time. And the witness will become the redeemer and another will be chosen to be the witness. I believe that's Joseph Smith. I personally believe that Joseph Smith will be the uh, the witness of that world. I'm not sure. I don't have all of the details, but that's just what I believe. But we will have the opportunity to put off our resurrection and go into a predestined and foreordained life to do things in a world to gain experience to become like they are. And this process happens over eons of time, millions of years, which when we have the veil removed from our mind, we'll look back at a million years and it will be like yesterday or last week or last month or last year, depending on our perspective of how long we've actually been aware But I don't think that Joseph Smith really understood these things completely, and I don't think Ogden Kraut did either. So, but let's continue to read what Ogden Kraut said about these things. But the reincarnationalist believes that they follow man from life to life and world to world until they are overcome and, and erased. Until they are overcome and erased. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, the next page is 73, which is chapter 9, Spirits and spe- uh, Spiritual Manifestations. Now, this week, I'm not getting my full days off. I'm actually going back to work um, Thursday, early, early, early Thursday morning. 
and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get to this one this week, so it might just be two chapters this week, and I'll release this one today. Um, I will get to the point where hopefully I'll be able to get two loads a day over four days within 14 hours, and then I'll have four complete days off, and the first day is just recovery. My first day off is just trying to recover from what I just put my body through over the four days of hauling crude over the mountain. So the next three days after that, once I go on a four-on, four-off schedule, I will be able to probably do one program a day for three days straight, and then and then I'll have to go back on the road for another four days. So... I'll still be putting these out there, but just please understand, like, I am doing the best I can to support my family and to do, and and to make it so that I don't need to rely on other people. Like, there will come a time, so one of the things that drives me a little bit nuts about the priestcraft stuff is... When a prophet like Joseph Smith needed to focus on on the work, people supported him. And nobody runs and says Joseph Smith was practicing priestcraft when people gave him money or, or gave him a place, him and his wife and his kids to live, or build him, built him a house. Or a store, you know, like I kind of envy him a little bit because he had this town and he had a store and people were able to come to him in the store and he was able to earn a living by not beating himself to death the way I do, but actually earn a living. And he was able to support himself in a way that was good you know but before he got to that point people did help him out they gave him a place to live they gave him a home to live in they took care of his needs while he did the work that he was called to do and I don't have that at this time but I I can take care of myself and I'm doing that but nobody nobody says that Joseph Smith was practicing priestcraft when he was taking money from people that were trying to help him. You know, and it seems like there's this um, this double standard. Like if God has called somebody to do a work, that they need to do the work. So that's why missionaries used to go without purse or script. They, they used to go without money or or whatever. They, they were, and people, how do you think they survived? They didn't do it for money, but they still needed to survive, and people supported them. Strangers gave them money. And they went out, and sometimes they were hungry. And I went through the same sort of situation back in 2004. 11, 
2010-2011, God told me when I was living in Everett, Washington, not to go back to Salt Lake. And he gave me a... He didn't tell me where to go. He just said, you can't go back to Salt Lake because people are looking for you. And uh, it's interesting because my mom told me about these men in suits that were that had come looking for me at her place because as an over-the-road truck driver, I had listed her house as my, as my home. And they watched the house for, I can't remember how long she said, but it was a while. And that was, that happened, so I was living in Everett, Washington, and I decided that I was very upset with some things that were going on, and I just needed to get away from everything and go sit on a beach, because one of the happiest times in my life was when I was a, when I was a 10-year-old kid, and we used to go to the beaches on EK Island in Okinawa, Japan. Now, I can't drive to Okinawa, Japan in my car, but I could drive to Florida. <laughs> and I'm not really a fan of the beaches in Oregon, Washington, and California because the rotation of the earth causes the waters to come down from the um, from Alaska. Very cold down along the coast and and even you get down to California it's still cold but if you go to the Atlantic side the rotation of the earth is causing the waters to flow from the equator so when it comes up it's more warm so I was like okay I'm going to go to Florida so I drove there all the way there and there were days when I had no food and I had no money And there were days when people... Uh, now, I've never been home or homeless and panhandled. I never asked for money. But when I went to Florida in 2011, I got a temp job when I was there. I'd go stand in line at 4 or 5 in the morning... And then I would be placed on labor jobs, like hard jobs where we got paid daily. You know, but there were days when I didn't have any money and no way to get money because there were no jobs. And God would would lead people to me. And I would, I try not to look like I was homeless. I was living in my car at the time. But anyway, so I'd have people come up to me and they'd say, Jesus told me to give you this money. That's how the missionaries used to survive. People would come up to them and give them money. Was it priestcraft? Absolutely not. Was it priestcraft when God... And I wasn't teaching for money, so that might be different, but Joseph Smith was teaching, and people were supporting him, and... I know that the time will come when people will support me. Now, I don't think that it's going to be like Joseph Smith. I think what's going to happen, this is my thoughts, my opinions. I think that I will continue to work 
as hard as I work until everything falls apart and then there is no work. And that when we go into the mountains that we will we will have orders where we share with each other, like United Orders. So that's that's what I think is going to happen. Um, and that'll have to happen because um, Genesis chapter 9 of the Joseph Smith translation states that when a people live all that I have commanded, then they shall look up and Zion will come down from above. That's how Zion is redeemed. And that only happens when there's people living all that God has commanded. So anyway, I think that's going to be the end of the program for today. I actually need to go back to sleep because I'm still tired, even though. So I worked until 10 or 11 on Monday, and then I slept the rest of the day, and I spent yesterday trying to recover, and I'm still tired. But I think I'll be good to go for working tomorrow. And I told the dispatcher that I was going to come back early because I wanted to get training done. But things kind of changed a little bit, and I don't know what to do about this. So instead of going with somebody, they're going to set me in my own truck, and I'm going to have to have everything that I need to, to do my job, which... I know kind of what I'm doing, so I know the supplies I need to go into the shopping gut. But like these new guys that are just starting out, they don't know these things. So I don't know. I But whatever. So I'm going to have my own truck. I'm going to drive to the well location, and there's going to be somebody there to help me to be there so that I can practice and get loaded. And then I will come back over the mountain and go unload it and there'll be somebody there to help me unload it too so anyway um that's the end of the program for today thank you everyone for listening take care god bless and goodbye